0: just thank you so much for this day i thank you for technology that we can have church in the car um how we can have church everywhere and anywhere and so god just as we come together right now in our homes or wherever we are live with our friends with our relatives with our sisters or family members or just in our car lord that we can just um honor you uh come together by the one spirit that unites us all and lord that you will just bless um our time this morning bless these words and uh God, just help us to apply what we're going to learn from your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, I have no idea what you commented, but that's awesome that you commented. So, sorry, I'm not seeing the comments right now. Oh, yeah. But anyway, um, Jada will try to look at them, and I'll try to get a response. But for some reason, the comments are not popping up. Sorry about that. That's awkward to have my finger on the screen. Okay, so we are in 1 Peter. Good oh good morning anyone else commented uh caitlin paul Paul and kelly joe and megan awesome good morning everybody good morning hey jada you're watching and you're here that's so cool you can watch and like participate do you have anything you want to say nope nope sure yep all right lydia you have anything you want to say before i start (laughs) <laughs> Lydia just wants to eat that and coffee good morning. Lydia wants coffee she's mad that we didn't get coffee so okay we are in first Peter chapter four um and we're gonna look at verses one through 11 this morning and so just as a quick recap first off I think it's crazy ironic that last Easter we didn't have church because COVID was brand new and we weren't sure what's going on no one was sick we probably could have had church then this year we have church for Easter. Unfortunately, we all shared COVID. We all got sick, and now we're back to this live stream view. But you know, who would have thought that, right? Who would have thought a year ago we could have church via live stream, via Facebook Live? I mean, it's a whole new world, and and our our, our opportunities and possibilities are endless. And yeah, we're having church from a rest stop in in Missouri, and your pastor's in a car, and you're all on your couches. And yet God is here and God is good. So it's, it's just, just crazy. All right. Sorry about that. Okay. So we are in First Peter chapter 11. It's been a while since we've been in First Peter. So I just want to recap a few things. And so I, I wrote some things down uh, just of what we've talked about. I just want to quickly remind you. So we started off in Peter looking at what our real hope is, where our future um, inheritance is at. You know, so our hope is in Christ. Our inheritance is heaven. It's not the things of this world. It's not the things of this earth. We looked at this call to be holy. He talked about us being holy stones, a part of a foundation. that We're supposed to live a holy life with leading into this. We're a new people and the foundation, our cornerstone is Christ. And we're stones with that building as this new people. Why did he talk about being holy? Well, because life is tough. And life is difficult and life is hard. And so we spent a couple of weeks looking at just how we are to be submissive to authorities, to governments, uh, to injustices when we're persecuted. Even in our marriages, we looked at what biblical marriage looks like. What does that look like? we talked a little bit if you're unequally yoked and how, how do you handle some of those things? Um, and that in all of this, there's going to be suffering. You know, Peter reminded us, man, there's going to be suffering when you live like Christ, when you live as a holy people group, when you live as a holy people, when you live as this cornerstone and you live life differently, unfortunately, there's going to be suffering because the the world thinks that we're weird. In fact, people walking by right now probably think that it's weird that I'm talking out loud with using my hands because they have no idea what I'm doing. They're just like, hey, this crazy guy's in his car talking and his four daughters are straining in there with him. So who knows? Maybe the police will show up and they'll think I'm a nut. So, but the point is that thank you i appreciate that um but the point is that we suffer for our faith and we're going to suffer for our faith and we should expect to suffer for our faith um and again um i know some of you are popping on and off and i i apologize if the internet's bad hopefully when i'm all done and i finish it you can go back and just watch the whole thing and not have to be buffered or whatever um i have no idea how good the internet is at this rest stop so um so anyway, so that's what we've been talking about in First Peter. So then moving to chapter 4, which is where we're at, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Let me just read it to you, um, and then we're going to kind of go through it just verse by verse. So, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time of flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time... they might live in the spirit the same way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift to, as a, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, a good steward of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. to him belongs the glory and domain forever and ever. Amen. And so in my Bible, this whole passage is called Stewards of God's Grace. And we see that there in verse 10. And and I, I, I really thought that was interesting because, you know, we think of stewardness. And when we think of stewardness, we think of time, we think of treasure, we think of talent. We don't always think of grace, but I, I love that you put together the Bible, use that as this title for these 10, 11 verses, that not only are we a steward of our time, we're a steward of our treasures, we're a steward of our talent, which it talks about in verses 8, 9, and 10, and we're going to talk about here a little bit deeper in a, in a few minutes, but also that we're a steward of God's grace. In other words, God has given us something. He has given us this grace. He has given us life. And because of that, We are supposed to be stewards with that grace. So what do we do with that grace? Are we telling people what God did for us? Are we sharing that grace? Are we hoarding that grace? Are we willing to serve others? What are we doing with the grace? What are we doing with the grace that we have been given? Because we are supposed to be stewards of that grace. So again, I just thought that was just a great, great title. So going back to to, to verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay? So, Peter is simply simply saying, look, Christ suffered. As a human being, as an adult, as a male, he suffered. He was God's son and he still suffered. He was not exempt from it. He wasn't immune for it. So, that, that flies in the face of this mentality that if we're Christians, life will be good and grand. It flies in the face of this idea that as long as we obey God, nothing bad will happen. No, Peter says, look, God suffered. Jesus suffered. Christ suffered. So you should arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. In other words, you should expect to suffer. If Jesus suffered as fully God, but yet fully man, and we're supposed to live like Christ, we're supposed to be Christ, we're supposed to be stewards of God's grace, then we should expect suffering to happen in our lives. We should not expect life to always be perfect and always work out the way we want. We should not expect it to always be amazing. We should expect suffering. It doesn't mean we go looking for it. It doesn't mean we invite it. It doesn't mean we invoke it or make it happen. But we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. Then he goes on, he says, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, again, That's not saying that you're going to live a perfect life. That's not saying you're going to stop sinning. But it's simply saying that if you're suffering in the flesh, in other words, you're living for God's will, then you're no longer living for the passions of the world. That's what he means by cease to sin. It doesn't literally mean you're no longer sinning. It doesn't mean you're literally going to stop sinning. But he's saying, look, if you're suffering in the flesh... If you're being made fun of, if you're being mocked, if you're being ridiculed, if you're suffering like Christ, that means you're living like Christ. So therefore, you're living to aim and please God's will, opposed to pleasing the flesh. So that's what it means by the ceasing to sin. So you're not actually going to go through like life without sinning. But if we're willing to suffer for Christ, if we're willing to live like him, then we're no longer living for selfishness. We're no longer living for self and we're living for God's will so then our priorities are less about sin and more about God's will. I hope I hope that makes sense. So, and, and he says that in the rest of verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so, so basically verse 2 explains that last part of verse 1. You're now living for God's will. You're now living for what God wants. And you're no longer living for the passions of the flesh. And so as you cease to live for the passions of the flesh then you're no longer, I mean, you're going to sin because we can't be perfect, but you're not actively reaching for those things because you're actively living for God. You've received this grace from him, and you want to be a good steward of that grace. You want to be a good steward of this gift that you've been given. And so you're living for God's will, and what is God asking you to do? And, and that's what you're focusing on, right? He says, for the time has is pa- is passed suffice for doing what the Gentiles do. In other words, you, we don't act like the Gentiles anymore. We don't act like the world anymore. He's like, they live in passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood and they malign you. So as you have God's grace, as you change, your priorities change. The way you live changes. Probably your friend groups change. You can't live in both worlds anymore. You can't have your feet on both sides of the fence, right? You can't live for the drunkenness and the orgies and the parties and the idolatry and all those things. Because you're no longer yourself. Christ is now in you. You're living for God's will. You have this, this, you're being a steward of God's grace. And so you're torn. And as you're torn, you begin to walk away from the things of the world. And in the Bible, it always talks about the things of the world as Gentiles. So you walk away from the Gentile living. And you begin to live for Christ. You begin to live like Christ. You begin to live for God's will. And then people are like, whoa, what is going on? So he says, respect this. They're surprised when you don't join them. And that same flood of sin. And they malign you. They make fun of you. It was interesting. As we were driving out on Thursday to uh, take my mother-in-law home and take uh, Lydia out to sign up for classes and pick up Jada, uh, there, was this, uh, there was an interview on, on Life 88.3, or 88.5, Life, 8, sorry, 88.3, 885. and it was this girl who had been on Survivor, and I believe her name was Baylor, I, I didn't 100% get her name, but she had been on Survivor, um, and she actually was in Blood versus Water, so I think she said it was like season 28 or 29, actually came in fifth, was, was, a, was a party animal, but claimed to be a Christian. Um, and she said after Survivor, she actually came to know Christ. She had, she as had she called it, a Jesus moment. And she knew who Christ was and gave her life solely to Christ. And so prior to that, she was a country singer. And she has now since gone to b- become a Christian singer. And, you know, she, it was interesting. She said, I didn't even know Christian music existed. She's like, I live in Nashville. I've been recording for 10 years. And I had no idea people like Chris Tomlin even existed and, in fact, lived close to me. And, and so she's now, uh, she's now singing, she's now using her talents, her gifts to sing and write Christian music. And she lives in Nashville and she's like, she's like, but it's weird. Like I've walked away from all that. She's like the friend groups I had, the people I hung out with, she's like, yeah, I still connect with them and I still witness to them, but they're not my source. They're not who I hang out with. And as my attitude changed and as my words changed and my, as my actions changed and my behavior changed, she was my friends all thought I was a weirdo. And they made fun of me and they, they called me a Jesus freak. And so she was talking about this literally happening right now in 2021 or 2020 or whenever it happened. It was a couple years ago, obviously, that she had this life changing uh, existence. But the point is, just like it says here, she walked away from that. She's now living for God's will. She's now using her talents and everything as being a steward of God's grace. It doesn't mean that she doesn't still have non-Christian friends. It doesn't mean she doesn't still witness to them. But the things that they participate in, she says, you know what? I'm not going to participate in those anymore. I'm not going to tempt myself. I'm not going to be there. Because that does not, who I am, it does not define me. And then he goes on in verse 5. He says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This is why the gospels preach, even those who are dead, that they are judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Again, this is not saying that you can come to Christ after death. And there are people out there that say that, oh, look, see, we, we, we preach even to the dead because they can still be saved. No, that is not at all what Peter's saying. Peter's reminding us that every single person will stand before Christ, Christian and non-Christian, Jew or Gentile, whatever term you want to use, every single person, and they will give an account. They will give an account. Who's ready to judge? Who's ready to judge the living and the dead? So when God returns, every person, the people who have died and the people who are now alive will stand before him and give an account. In other words, the people trying to live on both sides of the fence, the people who claim Christ, but are still trying to live like the world, the people who are claiming that they're a part of God's world, but still trying to live like the Gentiles, they're going to be held accountable for that. And the people living for these things mentioned in chapter 3, they're going to be held accountable for that. We may not see justice here on earth. It may not always be fair. People will get away with stuff. Why? Because it's a sinful world. People cheat, they lie, they steal, they get away with it. And that frustrates us and we want justice and we want to make it right. Peter's reminding us it's not our job. It's not our job to always make it right. It's not our job to always get justice. it's our job to be submissive. It's our job to obey God. and at the end of the day, every single person will stand before God and give an account. And he says, that's why we preach, right? That's why we preach even to those who are now dead. So in other words, the people who were Christians that have now died, notice that he says that are now who are dead, so in, in other words, they were once alive, but they are now dead. he's referring to people who are believers who have died. They will be judged too, the same way that everyone is judged. But the nice thing about the Christians who died, they will live forever in the Spirit. Because that's what he says there in verse 6. He says, they'll be judged in the flesh the way people are, but they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So they're still going to be held accountable, as you and I are too. All of us are going to be held accountable for our actions. But thankfully, because we have Jesus in us, Jesus' has blood, his sacrifice, then covers those actions overcomes those actions for we are forgiven whereas the people that don't have christ will not be forgiven and they will go over with the goats and they will go over and spend eternity apart from god in hell because they did not have christ in their life but we will be forgiven and it says we will live in the spirit the way god does we will live forever and we'll have these new bodies in in heaven the way god does we won't be apart from god we won't suffer we won't have that judgment but if that's in us, if God is in us, if God's will is in us, then that should show in our lives. We should be living for God every day. We shouldn't be go, hey, I'm safe, so now I can do whatever I want. Hey, I'm safe, so it doesn't matter what I do because God has forgiven me. I have a get-out-of-jail-free card. And sometimes as Christians, we treat salvation that way. We treat grace that way. And it has to sadden God when we treat it like that. Like, hey, I'm safe, so I'm good. no. Man, you have been transformed. You have been given a gift. You have been given this grace. Man, now use it. Teach people. Show people. Don't live like the world. Live like Christ. That's what Peter's talking about. He says, why? Because the end is at hand. Verse 7. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now again, Peter's not saying, hey, God's coming back tomorrow. Peter didn't know. John didn't know. James didn't know. None of the apostles knew. But what we do know is that Christ has fulfilled everything in scriptures except his return, right? So we can say that we're living in the last days. That's a true statement. Why? Because Christ has come. The Messiah came. He lived. He died. He rose again. There's one last thing that has to be fulfilled from scriptures. One last thing. And that's Christ's second coming. When he returns again and places everything back in order takes his children home, brings up those who are already dead home to him, creates this new heaven, this new earth, judges all everyone, takes care of the sinners, does what he does. That's the last thing we're waiting on. So it's fair to say that we're living in the last days. We're not waiting for the Messiah to come. We're not waiting for the Messiah to be born. We're not waiting for the Messiah to live. We're not waiting for the Messiah to die. We're not waiting for the Messiah to have resurrection like the Jews were for thousands and thousands of years. It's all happened. We've got one more thing left. That's the trumpet call and Christ returns. So we are living in the last days. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 200 years from now. We have no idea. But we live like it's tomorrow. We live for every moment for God, giving him everything. So Peter's like, hey, be self-controlled, sober-minded. Man, don't let your prayers be in vain. Live like Christ. Stop and think before you talk. Be self-controlled. Be be controlling of what your attitudes are, what's going on. Where is your mind going? Is your mind going back up to verse 3 when you were a Gentile and you're living for those things? Or is your mind focused on the things of Christ and God's will? It's like these are the last days. May your life shine like that. May it be an example like that. Above all, keep on loving one another. Earnestly, since love covers the multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling right? Peter's like, keep on loving each other. Keep on, you're giving each other. Love covers up a lot. And I think we learned that in 2020, right? Man, we saw the division in our country. We saw the division in church. We saw how little things just tore people apart. There wasn't a whole lot of love. There wasn't a whole lot of grace. There was not a whole lot of forgiveness, it was, it must be my way. It must be my way. It's got to be done this way. It's got to be done this way. And Peter's like, look, love, another, love one another earnestly. Because love covers a multitude of sins. When we have that, that humility and that grace and we love people, and we can go to someone and say, man, I, I am so sorry. I should have never acted like that. I should have never spoken like that. I should have never treated you like that. You know how quickly that disarms a situation? At least in my life it does. You know how much quicker I want to forgive that person and reconcile and move on? Hey, I think we're back. Sorry about that. It totally paused on me. Um, so yeah, so loving people earnestly, showing hospitality without grumbling, taking care of people, serving people, not doing it because you have to, not doing it because you're made to, not constantly grumbling, but just grumbling, but just serving people. Again, something we can do right now is with people in our community, people in our church who can't shop, who can't leave, who are stuck in quarantine and need things. Like, hey, how can I serve you? You know, texting people, calling people, like even today when, when church is over, you know, texting people, calling people like, hey, I'm, I'm out of quarantine or I'm not even sick. How do you, what, do you need some milk? Do you need some eggs? Do you need some bread? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Do you just need to talk? You just want to hear a voice, you know, again, serving people, loving people. And then he goes on in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And God gave us gifts. He gave us the spirit. He gave us personalities. He gave us gifts. And he told us to use those gifts to serve one another. In other words, to serve the church. We're not supposed to use the gifts to serve ourselves. We're not supposed to use the gifts for selfishness. We're not supposed to use the gifts to serve the world. We're supposed to use those gifts to serve the church. And ultimately, in serving the church, we're building up the church, we're discipling new believers, we're helping people, and then we're going out and multiplying. So we're giving these gifts to serve one another. He says, as good stewards of God's very grace. He said, God has given, given you so many gifts. He's poured out his grace on all of you. So be a good steward with it. And be a good steward with that gift you have. Be a good steward with the grace. Be a good steward with the love and the serving. Be everything. Be Jesus. Because at some point in time, you will be accountable for what you were. Were you a good steward? Did you use that grace? It doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation if you're truly saved. But you are going to be accountable for our actions. So be a good steward with what you have. Be a good steward with your time, your treasures, your talents, that grace, and your gifts. We have so many people with gifts in the church as a whole who are refusing to use them. Every church in America struggles to find leaders. Every church in America struggles to find someone to teach a Sunday school class, to lead this group, to lead this group. And yet our church is full of these gifted people who are content just sitting there on Sunday morning, marking off the list. I came to church and they're not using their gifts. They're not serving the body. Maybe they think they're too young, maybe they think they're too old, maybe they got hurt. Maybe maybe you did, maybe you got burnt. You know what that will happen. Unfortunately, people will hurt us. Hurt people hurt people. And the church is full of hurt and broken people. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're perfect, and we definitely are hurt people and we tend to hurt people. But at some point we have to use our gifts. We have to forgive, we have to love earnestly, we have to serve without grumbling, and we have to get back on that horse and go, you know what, I did get hurt. I've been hurt. I've been hurt a lot. I've been doing this for almost 17 years. Lydia, you're 17, right? I've been doing this for 16 years. I started when Lydia was just a wee little thing, like right before her first birthday. I mean, I've been hurt. I've been hurt over 16 years. But I keep going. I keep using my gifts. I keep getting back up. I keep forgiving people. I keep loving on people. I haven't quit. And unfortunately, I know I'll probably get hurt again. But I'm still going to love people. And I'm still going to do what I got to do. Because God's will is more important than mine. And these gifts and this grace he's given me is far more important than my own selfishness. And people need to know The truth people need to know about the gospel. People need to know how Jesus changes our lives. So if you have a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In other words, it's not your own strength. And if you're someone that speaks, if you're someone that serves, you rely on God. Right now, I'm relying on God for this internet to hold out so I can finish this sermon I know we've already lost it once. I'm relying on God to give me the words. I'm relying on God for the strength. I'm relying on God because my nose just fell into the floor and I have to lean over and get them, right? I'm relying on God that when this is all said and done, you guys will go back later this afternoon and watch this when it it posts and there won't be any glitches. We We rely on God for our words and for our strengths. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? Who supplies everything? God supplies everything. It says it right there in verse 11. By the strength of that God supplies. God is our supplier. You know, when we first got back from Africa, my wife would always say, uh, people, like, how'd you do that? How'd you live like that? How'd you do that? And she always said, God. God. And people would get mad. They would get mad at us for that answer. Like, well, but how did you do it? And honestly, the answer was God. We didn't always know how we did it. I don't know how we've moved from different place to different place. I don't know how we've learned different languages. I don't know how we've survived some of the things we've survived. I honestly could not tell you, except that God, he's our supplier. He's our strength. He's our wisdom. He's our grace. He gives us words. He gives us love. He gives us forgiveness. Literally, the answer is God. And people are like, well, that's just the Sunday school answer. No, it's the true answer. It's the truth answer. God is the truth answer because he's the supplier of everything. What? In order that everything in everything God may be glorified through Christ. The reason he's the supplier of everything is so that he is the one who gets everything. Right? In order that in everything God may be glorified. This isn't about Mike being glorified. It's not about you being glorified. It's not about Jada or Liddy being glorified. It's about God getting the glory. And so when we say the answer is God and it's truly the answer, well, then God's getting the glory. How did someone survive? They survived by the grace of God. God gave them what they needed for that situation. He gave them the strength. He gave them the grace. He gave them the words so that God gets the glory. That's the testimony. That's the testimony of the world. We don't get the glory. It's not because of a book we wrote or a good sermon we gave or because we were at some concert. It's because God gets the glory, because God is a supplier of everything. In the church, we're too busy trying to give man glory. Oh, man, this guy did this, and this guy did this, and this is an awesome speaker. And, this is, and Yes, they're using their gifts. And they're writing songs, and they're writing books, and they're awesome speakers. They're using their gifts. But we need to be careful that in using our gifts, God is getting the glory and not man. Right? And everything, you know, God may be glorified through what? <coughs> through Jesus Christ who came and lived as a perfect man, who did everything according to God's will, who died and rose again. So God gets the glory by the example of Christ and the life of Christ, and then he gets the glory from us as we live like Christ. God gets the glory. Hold on, I need a drink. And it says, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Man, we, we, we say that phrase, That phrase is in songs. Sometimes we end church with it. We end prayers with it. It's in all kinds of different hymns and songs. But do we actually believe it? Do we actually live like it? To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. There's one person, there's one thing (coughs) that gets glory and dominion. It's God. It's not a country It's not a group. It's not a person. It's not a church. It's not a superstar. It's not an athlete. It's not a team. One thing. This one thing remains that gets the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And the only thing that gets the glory and dominion forever and ever is God. It wasn't good enough for Satan and he rebelled. And he left heaven because he wanted the glory and the dominion forever and ever. He couldn't be subject to God and he rebelled. And in his rebellion, he has taught so many of us to rebel as well. God created everything. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He breathed. He breathed. He breathed. Our life is here because of his breath. Our stars, our sun, our moon, our earth, everything came from God's spoken words. He is the everything. So therefore, he deserves the everything. He deserves the power and the glory and the dominion. Nothing else deserves it but God. And yet we give glory and dominion to so many things that is not God. So many idols, so many other things. And Satan is laughing and he's like, yes, yes, yes. Man, they're divided, they're broken, they're praising other things, they're not using their gifts, they're just sitting still, they're not loving one another, their hospitality's gone, all they're doing is grumbling, they've stopped, they're living just like the world, yes! Satan is rejoicing when we act like that. And Peter's reminding us, man, live for God's will. Don't live like the Gentiles, right? Love one another earnestly, Serve one another and use your gifts. The gifts that God's given you, use them for God to get the glory. That God may be glorified in everything. And that the reminder is, He is the dominion over this world. And when He returns and He restores everything, and we are held accountable, He's going to be like, Good job. Yeah, you stumbled a few times, but I love you because you're my son, you're my daughter. You used your gifts. You served me well. You finished your race. Good job. I know for a battle matter of fact that when Burl died a month ago, two months ago now, and the first thing I know God said to him is, Good job, faithful son. You finished your race. I mean the man literally died teaching the gospel. I'm not saying that you have to die teaching the gospel, but he died using his gifts. And he was going to use his gifts till the day he died. And he made that clear to all of us. And he died using his gifts, teaching the gospel. And his literally his last breaths. He was still teaching Timothy in his last breaths. And that's what our life should look like. We don't have to be in Guinea-Canada. We can be in Missouri. We can be in Pennsylvania. We can be in Ohio. We can be in Indiana. We can be in Idaho. We can be in Utah. We can be in Phoenix. It doesn't matter. The point is that we're using every ounce of. Of our life. Every breath. To glorify God. To use our gifts. To teach. Whether well, it's our children. Our grandchildren. And our great grandchildren. Our neighbor. The people around us. That in those last moments. We go out. Telling people about Jesus. Using our gifts. Loving well. Serving well. Giving God the glory. So that when there's a celebration of life. Or a funeral. People have no question. No doubt. This person was absolutely in love with jesus and their life showed it they weren't perfect but they did everything in their power to serve the lord with everything they had that's being a good steward of god's grace lord thank you for this message thank you for these words thank you for peter thank you for just this opportunity to spend time in god's word this morning god let us hear it Let us understand it. Let us apply it. If we need to go back and rewatch this because it wasn't a great connection, then let's do that. But God, help us to be good stewards of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I've loved this. Um, I hope I never have to preach from the car again. But if so, it's good. So I am going to sign off so that I can finish my journey home and see my wife, the rest of my kids. Um, Jada, Lydia, you want to say goodbye to everybody? No.